us, and we have looked at movement as, founda- as a foundational characteristic of understanding what it means in a, in a, that a church entails growth. Um, we've talked about, if you could put up our mission statement here as a church, guys, that we've seen from time to time over the last year or so, that we say we're here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus, an ever-growing relationship. And we looked at how two kinds of, uh, two dynamics of growth. Last week we looked at this kind of expanding, extending growth, how more and more people are meant to be brought into that living hope that we share through Jesus Christ. But the flip side of that coin is a deepening growth, a developing growth, that we're redeemed and brought into a hope to be transformed, to be more and more like Jesus. And what's so interesting in this is that frequently, depending upon our personality or our experience of of life or church or whatever the case may be, we can tend to one or the other of those. Churches can do that. Ministries can do that. But really, solid biblical growth involves both. An extending, expanding growth with more and more people, but also a deepening and a developing growth, which is what we're going to look at tonight. Sometimes people think of church as either a lighthouse holding forth the gospel to as many people as possible, and that's what our, our, our uh, reason for being needs to be, or could you put up the picture of the lighthouse or the glass filling up, I think of like a filling station, not like a petrol station, but the idea, you know, you think as a follower of Jesus, I just got to make it to Sunday and I'm going to have my tank refilled. And it's more somewhat about my, my, own, my own dynamics, that, that deepening of myself, when in reality, yes, to go back to that. Local churches, and this is a blank on your, on your, um, on your sheet that you have on the tables around you, local churches are meant to be both a lighthouse and a filling station at the same time. It's meant to be both because only both captures what God intends to accomplish through the church. Remember, the church exists not for people. If our reason for existence is compassion for people, which we should have, um, then we've gotten our reason for existence on shaky ground because really there needs to be a more solid foundation for it. We're going to read to you a quote from... uh, an acquaintance and colleague of mine from the U.S., his name was Gary Rohrmeyer. He was involved in church planting. Uh, but I thought this quote of his was great. If we focus on one of these over the other, could you go back? Oh, yep, yeah, that's fine. Perfect. To focus on one of these over the other runs the danger of the church existing primarily for people. And I want you to hear that. If you focus so much on being a lighthouse, let's just reach more and more people without ever deepening them. Or if you're like, let's just get as deep as we possibly can be. Both of those are distortions of God's vision for the church. Both of those have it existing either primarily for us or primarily for them. But a missional church, what do I mean by that? A church that sees itself existing as a part of 
God's mission on this earth to extend his blessing to the ends of the earth and bring more and more people into his family realizes it exists for God, his glory, and for achieving his redemptive purposes in the world. This is why our first few weeks, why it was so important, and it may have seemed basic and, there I use the word, foundational in foundations, is because if we don't lay a foundation of the church, this church, any church, the big church, see all believers existing for him, for his glory, for his purposes, then we're going to be in danger of skewing it one way or the other. When really the answer is yes. It's both. So we talked last week about expanding and extending. This week we're going to be talking a bit about deepening and developing. And in order to do that, we're just going to uh, park in the book of Acts for some time and look at a church there, Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch. And this church in the book of Acts, the church at Antioch, exemplified this mindset as a hub both for extending and expanding. We're going to see tonight and in future weeks how this church was a part of God extending and expanding the message of the gospel and the presence of the local church in the known world at that time. But it was also a place where people were deepened and developed. Both things were happening at the same time. It was a lighthouse as well as a filling station. So open your Bibles if you will, if you have it, to Acts chapter 11 or on your app. Um, we have the verses on the screens here. I'm just going to read this verse for us. Acts chapter 11 starting at verse uh, 23. Um, I'll just give a little context for this. Primarily before this time, if you remember, when we talked about the church being on the move, we looked at different verses. And in the beginning of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the first few chapters of Acts, you see primarily activity in Jerusalem. Then it starts to expand to regionally, Judea and Samaria. You see persecution developing here, and in, in with that, the, the, the disciples scattered, and as they scattered, they brought the message of the gospel with them, and people were believing and turning to Christ. And so it says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, this is Barnabas, a man named Joseph, but his nickname was Barnabas, son of encouragement, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, Antioch is remarkable, and we're going to look at how this church, uh, if you have that on the back side of your page, says the church at Antioch fostered a passionate and personal devotion to Jesus that was also solidly grounded. So in terms of developing people, what, did they, what was happening in this church is that there was a, an environment that fostered a passionate and personal devotion 
to Jesus, but it was also solidly grounded. Notice how Barnabas, when he arrived, if you go to the next slide, guys, it says that he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He encouraged an undivided heart. We can sometimes, when we think of the heart, we can... Um, we can sometimes fail in perhaps when we have a very solid biblical basis for our faith, which is absolutely necessary, as we'll see in just a moment. Um, sometimes we can fail to encapsulate into our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that there is an emotive part of it, and there's a will part of it, that it's not something that just resides in our heads like a subject matter, but what, would, what have we said? We are here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. We are not here to make sure that simply everybody has their doctrine straight or knows how to handle the Bible. Jesus even said to the Sadducees and Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you have life, yet you fail to come to me. Jesus Christ is our living hope. The scriptures point us to him. They are his word. But it's an ever-deepening relationship with King Jesus that he said, you are to love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is a passionate and personal devotion to Jesus as Savior, as Lord. That that was what was encouraged, a, a, a deep relationship with him. But it was not simply something that was felt or had a lot of fervor without having something that held it solidly in place as well. Their faith, people's faith, was grounded with consistent biblical teaching. If you go to the next slide, it says, For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, that's Paul in future life <laughs> uh, time, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. They were grounded in the faith. Now, interestingly, I've been in my own personal walk uh, in, in times of devotion, reading in the book of James. And when we think about this idea of expanding and extending and deepening and developing, in both, the Word of God is absolutely vital and essential to both. And it makes sense because if we think about this being um, how is God on the move? He's on the move through his church and he's given us his word and his spirit. And it says through that, through the word, James chapter 1 verse 18, he says, Don't be dis uh, um, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The scriptures are what the Lord uses through his spirit to call people to life, to call people to faith in Jesus. It's a mystery how he works in people's hearts. He works in people's minds. When the word of God is presented and preached, there is the, the fruit that, that's born of that, of people coming to life, people coming to faith in Jesus. And yet, it's also the source of deepening and development. Right after this, in verse 19 in James, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, that development. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word 
planted in you which can save you. Notice how he says he brought us as a first fruit. The word was sown in us and it bore fruit. And then he says that same word as we're attentive to it, as we face into it, not simply to hear it, but to have it bring life in us, can save us and produce the life that God desires, that righteous life that God desires in us. So again, it's, it's both. That, that the word that brings us to life and extends the work of the Spirit and the gospel into individual lives, my own, yours, if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, that he also desires that he would deepen us. It's both. And so this church in Antioch fostered a passionate and personal devotion to Jesus, but it was also solidly grounded encouraged an undivided heart, but also grounded people's faith with consistent biblical teaching. The reason I say consistent, did you notice, he made mention. So for a whole year, I mean, they invested in this. They were intent, as we read through the book of Acts, of the gospel going and extending and expanding. We looked at that last week, yet they also invested time, resource, effort, into developing people. And as they did, it's interesting, some character, characteristics and qualities and things that happened, evidence of what was happening in the life of this church. Now what I'm not going to do tonight, just so you're aware, is an exhaustive kind of discussion of what it means when people are being developed. Because we could get into all kinds of things about what it means to mature, about having gifts and implementing those gifts and all different kinds of things. I just want to do this more from a observation of what was happening in the life of this church in Antioch because there's evidence of the impact of the Holy Spirit as one traces the transformation and development that occurred if you're looking for it so I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 11 in my Bible I was in James there I'm going back to Acts chapter 11 to get to Antioch and I want to just highlight as you see on your page about five different things and you can see the first one there uh, from verse 26. If we go back to the next slide, actually, guys. It says, when we read this, then it says, For a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught in great numbers. And so the disciples were first called, uh, called Christians first at Antioch. And I, I just want to state this, this idea when you add... Um, Kind of that I-A-N ending onto there. <laughs> um, it was a way in, in the language use at that time of saying somebody was like, um, belonged to some, like a party, a movement. Um, we could think of it now politically or, or different things. It wasn't simply something relating to Christians. In fact, soldiers in the Roman army would identify with their commanding general by, by doing this. And so you could have something like Caesarian. And you're like, I don't like that idea of thinking of Caesarean. We maybe have somebody who's going to have uh, some babies recently, soon, and thinking of that. But that was the idea, is they would identify. But this was meant in the culture. So it wasn't like they chose this for themselves. This was a mocking term, culturally. Um, say, you know, oh, they, they belong to Christ. It's kind of like, it was kind of a mocking term. But isn't it interesting that there was such an engagement with their culture and their community living in such a way that that kind of interaction happened. That they weren't isolated. 
that no one was saying, well, what goes on at that King Center, to put it in modern terms? It's kind of closed off. I don't know. What, no, no, no. That there was this, there was this engagement so the people had an awareness of what was going on. They knew it was related to Christ. It makes me think of um, Peter's words to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he says this. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now there's a real simple phrase there that's easy to overlook. Among the pagans. Among the pagans. When you think of being among something, you're not isolated. You're distinct because he says live such good lives among them. There's not meant to be a pulling back and a separation. There's meant to be an engagement and a distinction. And there may be mocking. And Peter says, always be ready to give a, a response for the hope that you have, like we sung about tonight. And we're to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly when we're mistreated. But, but he says here, just again, he says, let them see you know, such good lives. Though they could say all kinds of things about you, they, they, they have to see that. So there was an engagement with their community. So again, there's this, there's this idea that extending and expanding and developing and deepening are not mutually exclusive. They must go hand in hand. Secondly, another development that we could see here was a compassion to need. Marked by generosity. If you go to the next set of verses here, it says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. There was a generosity in response to a need. They, they saw outside of themselves. In fact, we could think that there is no greater um, way in which we resemble our Heavenly Father than when we are generous and responsive to the needs of others. Again, in James, you don't need to turn there, but I was struck by this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The Father, God our Father, is the giver of every good thing that we enjoy. As James starts off, he says, if you lack wisdom, we should ask God for it, because he, he gives wisdom without reproach. God's nature is generous. He gives. And one of the marks of us being developed and becoming more like him, as was evidenced in Antioch, is when we display that same kind of generosity. There was a compassion to need marked by generosity. 
If you turn over several pages in your Bible, or one maybe, or maybe it's even on the same page, it's on the same page in mine, Acts chapter 13, there's a, a third dynamic that develops here. If you could put that up, guys. Acts chapter 12 was the last verse, and it goes into 13, yes. So if we go here, it says, When Barnabas and Saul, again, this is all around this church in Antioch, had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem to Antioch, taking with them John, also called Mark, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Such an interesting list of names that if you were to start examining them, you would realize that there was a multicultural and multi-ethnic dynamic happening in this church. There was a multicultural and multi-ethnic integration. Again, Barnabas, Joseph was his real name. Barnabas, a nickname, was Jewish. Simeon called Niger, put that, you know, it means Simeon literally the black. And the deduction, we can't know absolutely, but historically has been understanding that Simeon was African. So we have a Jew from Cyprus, I believe, if my memory is right. Simeon, who was likely African. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene, if guys, put up the map that I have there, if you will, to kind of put this in context. Cyrene was over here. Modern day, let's have a geography lesson. Who wants to take a guess? Where is that in the world? Libya, yes. Trending toward Libya. So we have Joseph, Barnabas. We don't know, it doesn't say where... Uh, Simeon was from, Lucius from, from Cyrene, so North African. And then as we continue, you could go back to the verses that we had up there, guys. It says that there was also uh, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Isn't this interesting? Frequently what would, what would happen is you would have Herod the Tetrarch, who was obviously uh, a ruler in uh, Judea, as he was being brought up, they would bring a boy in to kind of be like a, for lack of a better expression, a foster child, kind of like a permanent friend in childhood, to be brought up. And so Menaean here was brought up in that environment. It's kind of be like if, um, you know, the royal family all of a sudden decided to take another child and, and put them in, in, and walk alongside their children as they grow up. This is a really interesting group of people. It was not monolithic in any way. There was an incredible diversity, multicultural, multi-ethnic, as you would expect, because what is the mission of God? Go and make disciples of what? All nations. What do you say to Abraham? You will be a blessing to all white people. No. All nations, all people, all created in the image of God, all reflecting his glory, all capable of entering into an ever-growing relationship with him, knowing him as their living hope, finding their purpose, finding their meaning. So there was, as should be expected, a multicultural and multi ethnic dynamic, multi-ethnic integration. 
There was also a powerful dynamic in their worship. Go to the next slide there, guys. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, I know I read that sentence, and some of us are probably shaking in our boots. The Holy Spirit speaks? They might enter into, like, thoughts about church that we're not comfortable with. But without, you know, going too much into that, to think there was a dynamic of their meetings and of their life and of their spiritual disciplines with another. Because, I mean, gathering for worship is a practice. It's a discipline. There's a a reason why we do it. In obedience to the Lord, we gather, we celebrate, we we learn, we we sing, all of this. But it says they were... um, fasting they were praying and in that context if this is a a better way for you to think about it the holy spirit was on the move worship wasn't just um, a discipline that lacked dynamic it was a, a coming into the presence of god and if we come into the presence of god in our worship who should we expect to be there God himself. And we should expect that he would be interacting with us through his word and through challenging us and leading us. It was through a worship service when I was 17 years old that God got a hold of my heart when I I thought I was going to be an engineer or I thought I was going to go into the military. And don't ask me why. I just felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart in that context of a missions conference saying, Steve, that's not the plan I have for your life. Now, I can't go into the Bible and find where the Lord said that but in the context of that service where we were talking about God's kingdom work and who would go there was and perhaps some of you can think of this where you're in a service and there's either a song or something being preached from the word and you have that sense that you know God is speaking directly to you whether it's a conviction or an encouragement or direction I don't mean it's independent of the word it's it's grounded in the word and something but it's for you something you need to hear there's a dynamic it's not simply we're part of a club and we tick the box and we show up on Sunday we come into his presence we meet with him he meets with us he speaks to us he leads us he directs us he challenges us he encourages us. He heals us. He forgives. Whatever we, we meet with him, we come into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. And it says that they sent them out. Now, <clears throat> this leads us to this one last dynamic I want us to think about tonight. And that is in this first sentence here, which I think I have highlighted um, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. So in between chapter 11 and uh, chapter 12, um, there's the work of, of uh, the gospel happening, and they had been sent out. But it says here that they, when they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. John was a young, a young man who Barnabas and Saul saw something in, and said, hey, come back with us to Antioch. That there was this recognition of emerging leaders, people to be involved in ministry. 
In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 11, verse 25, where we were looking at Antioch, where the work was first started there, go back there, it says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That this same dynamic was happening earlier. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And you could go back even further to Acts chapter 9. I don't think I have a slide for this. If I do, you can put it up, guys. But it says um, in Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul was first converted and everyone was still kind of not sure because Saul was a, a persecutor of the church, it says that in verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So you see this thread. Acts chapter 9, Barnabas looks at Saul and says, this is someone that, that God has called and is going to use greatly in telling people about Jesus. And in 11, when things are happening in Antioch, he goes and gets them and brings them along. And then as they are doing their thing, they've brought the, uh, I misspoke earlier, I should have said they brought the gift to Jerusalem meeting the needs of the, the famine. And when they got back, they brought along John Mark. There was this idea of um, empowering and recognizing where God was at work in raising people up to be leaders and servants of his, which we should expect God still does. That God is still, again, if his idea is he's on the move, as we look at his word, there are people that he uses to carry that movement forward. He uses all of us, and he gifts us all in different ways. But we see this thread as as people are developed, God calls some to lead. Looking around the room, I think God's calling some to lead right now. Regardless of your age, regardless of how long you've been a convert or not. God is expanding, and God is deepening and he has plans because he says familiar verses probably for some of us but in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 13 that he has given some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists some to be pastors and teachers why why are these leaders necessary to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at those verses there. Just listen to them and hear the words. He's given some to be evangelists, expanding, extending. He's given some to be pastors and teachers, developing, deepening, maturing. That there are roles within for some to lead. And what's their role of leadership? To do it all? No. He says the role of leadership is to empower the entire body. To do the work of ministry together. So he, there was this recognition and need of, of leaders that they saw and they followed through with. We need to have the same eyes and the same anticipation. We have a, we have a history of that here, but we need to do it all the more. All the more. And so I, when we think about what is happening in this, this church in Antioch, and I posed the question earlier, would you rather? <laughs> would you rather be a, a church that is deepening and developing or a church that's expanding and extending? The answer should be yes. 
And what I'd love for us to do around the tables, earlier I said, would you rather, and we had all those kind of silly, nonsensical questions. What I'd love for you to do now, if you're comfortable, please, please join in this. If you're, if you're new and visiting, please don't feel like you're obligated to do this. But would you just take a few minutes praying around your tables and saying, God, would you help us to be a church on the move in this way? Would you help us and lead us to be a church that is both extending and expanding and deepening and developing? And as you pray, I want to just slip in a notice, if that's all right. Um, You've heard and seen about these, hopefully. We have our Christmas Community Day cards, which are just amazing, beautiful, um, great thing to use to share with people because um, all the events are open and we're trying to get people to book It's because there's limited space on some of these. So these are things you can take and invite. Part of expanding and extending, right? We can, we can invite Great little resource. There's a QR code on there that I actually just happened to take a picture of this week to send to some, somebody. And I met somebody in the park and was trying to tell them about this and realized I'd forgotten the card. And I was like, oh, but wait a minute. I have the picture. Try scanning this QR code. Brilliant. It worked. Just really easy to share with people. And these amazing books that have been produced, so accessible for, for people who have little to no exposure about what it means to be a follower of Jesus just a real simple 40-page book to put in their hands to let them know you care, that you really want them to, to know the hope that you have in a very non-threatening, easy-to-understand way. But let's take these cards, think about these books, and pray that the Lord would deepen us, because this is part of our deepening, that we become more a part of his mission in this world. Right? This is God's redemptive purpose. We're both a, a filling station and a lighthouse. And pray that as God makes us that kind of church, pray for the opportunities we have through these invites, through these resources. And when we're finished praying around our tables, I'll just close our time in prayer and uh, Jim will come and lead us in a few more songs. Okay, so let's, let's pray together around tables. Mm-hmm.